Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at RiderFlex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the RiderFlex show for updates on new episodes. And by the way, if you haven't already, check out the book we recently launched, The RiderFlex Guide, Inspiring and Hiring, available for purchase on Amazon. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Travis Knipe back on the Rider Flex podcast from Star Res. How are you, sir? Yes, doing very well, thanks. It's great to be back. Um, there's been a lot of uh, changes going on for the last uh, couple of years since we talked last. Um, so it's great to reconnect. For sure. Where are you today, man? Are you, I know you, you're all around like Denver, Australia, Austin. I don't know. Where Where are you today? You know, I love to be uh, a global citizen. And um, whilst that global citizen status was uh, suspended a little bit uh, when travel was a bit more limited, uh, which wasn't uh, what I was used to, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm, I'm roaming the globe again. Um, today you find me back in uh, Melbourne, Australia, which is where one of our, main headquarters is, but I've spent a lot of time out in uh, Denver over the last three to four months um, and traveling around. So it's been um, it's been a, a busy, active time. Now in Melbourne this time of year, what's the weather? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm ignorant to the uh, Australia weather. What's Is it spring? Is it what, What's it doing there? We've still got a bit of summer uh, at the moment. So yeah, the weather's... Uh, now weather in Melbourne... Um, you can get many seasons in one day. So you might get a little summer, a little rain um, and everything in between. So our, our weather's a little unpredictable here. Does it ever get cold? Look, it's more, think about California cold, uh, not quite Denver, Colorado cold. Okay. <laughs> so it's very manageable. And that's where most of your family is, right? Because your 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 folks were from there, right? So you got, you got a lot of family uh, down in Australia? Yeah, we do. So uh, our family network's here. Um, we've got uh, two boys uh, that, that go to school here. Um, so they travel with us on all the school holidays and uh, and a few other trips outside of that. So they're they're regulars uh, to the US and um, and you know to the UK when we're there. And then of course I do you know quite a few solo trips in between. Uh, we do have a second home and, and residence over in Denver, so we've we've got our home away from home when we're we're traveling as well. How old are your boys now? Uh, growing up fast. One's about to turn eight and the other one is 10. And um, yeah, uh, I'm a very hands-on dad. So very involved in a lot of their activities and and just love, you know, doing as much as I can with the boys. Now, uh, when you're gone, do they do they test mom a little bit? Do they push and see like, oh, dad's not here. What, what can I get away with a little bit? Any of that going on? There's a, there's definitely a lot of that going on. Um, so um, there's there's definitely some more flexibility around the house rules when I'm on the road. Um, but um, no, look, they're they're amazing kids, and they give us so much joy and fulfillment. Um, and um, you know, we just as said, you know, one of the things that is a little bit different to probably this the style I've had, um, and maybe you know, I've been a bit luckier. My dad, you know, worked a lot. And so the only time I got to see him was primarily at work. Um, and, you know, he wasn't available um, due to work commitments to be involved in a lot of my sports and, you know, extra activities. Mm -hmm. um, that was my mom who was the uh, was the main driver there. And so I've really tried to, you know, 
balance my life and my career by still lots of time to work and get that done, but also make sure I'm a really present and available dad, you know, when I'm home as well. So important, really so important. You know, when I tell stories about my own father, you know, yeah, his work ethic was great and I really respect that. But uh, do I wish, you know, he had been more part of my life and come to my games and my activities and spent more time with me outside of work? Yeah, I do. Like I, I would, I would trade that, right? Like, I, you know, not, I don't take any respect away from him for the work ethic, but yeah, he just worked all the time. I mean, yeah, I, I think I remember him coming to like one activity I had in my whole childhood, you know? And so uh, I, I think that's, um, it's really important as much as you can do it. And for, for you, for somebody who travels a lot, I know that's gotta be tough. So you're probably, when you look at your calendar, are you like, okay, this activity I gotta be home this week. Cause I know this is going on. Right. Yeah, it's it's tough. And and look, I I feel you with your dad. I, I think back, you know, the same. I think it was also a different generational time and expectations yeah. were a bit different. Yes. Um, and I, I like now that we've evolved a lot in the way we think about that. And um to me, you know, I'm happy to get up, you know, I'm an early bird. I'm happy to get up as early as I need to to get everything done and then you know, still have that time to go to the game at night. Um so, look, I still have those tough trade-offs. Recently, I was on a trip and I missed, um, you know, I missed a, my, one of my son's basketball finals. And, you know, that was a really tough thing to be away from. And sometimes you have those those compromises. But I just make sure that, you know, when I'm, when I'm around and if there are, you know, milestones that I, I try to make sure that I, you know, commit to those. And you, you just you do your best to kind of balance it out and, and keep, keep everything, uh, you know, moving. Speaking of balancing, I know you're uh, a very health conscious guy. Yeah, you look like you're still in great shape, like you were last time. You still hitting the gym? You still trying to do your cardio, your weights? What what's going on with your with your health routine? Yeah, so look, as you know, I, I think a big part of, in fact, I think it was another thing. Unfortunately, my dad, um, you know, probably uh, we lost him almost ten years ago, and I, I wished he probably had a bit more time to focus on his health, and that was definitely a catalyst for me getting in better shape and wanting to be around, you know, as long as I can be for my kids. Um, so last year, I have to be honest, when we went through the uh, the transition to investment with Vista and doing acquisitions, um, you know, I had to really step it up on the work front, and and my fitness was the one thing that. Um, you know, yeah. fell, fell away a little bit. Now I, I've stayed in the game, so I still managed to, uh, get a marathon in late last year. I did the New York marathon, which was, was a great cool. experience. Cool. I struggled, I struggled with it, but I got through it. Um, and, uh, and I'm really trying to prioritize a bit more time for the fitness, which as you know, I, I, I'm always listening to podcasts and books and things like that while I'm training. So I, I find it's, it helps me be a better CEO as well. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you feel good, if you, if you just feel good about your, you know, if, if, if you're healthy and, and your mental state is, is refreshed and sharp, which it usually is, if you do a little exercise, you just feel better. You do a better job uh, as a CEO. Uh, diet wise, uh, I'm just curious, uh, are you like super strict? Are you just, you know, kind of watch it, you know, you're careful or, or are you on a regiment? I'm just curious. Cause I, I've recently started something I'll share with you, but I'm curious about yourself. Yeah, look, I, I go through waves like everyone. I, I think I'm pretty good at, you know, trying to eat reasonably. Um, okay. You know, I, I try to stick to to fish and steak and salad and veggies kind of when I'm on the road in particular. 
um, and, and eat reasonably clean. My biggest weakness is I've got a sweet tooth. So I do love my ice cream and my sweets and lollies and candy. Um, so at times I have to back that off um, or, uh, or or the pounds and kilos can climb up a little bit more than you want. <laughs> uh, over the holidays, I finally hit 200, which I've never been at before. I'm 5'11 and uh, never been, never, that was the heavy, 200 is the heaviest I've ever been. I was in, uh, we were out, uh, well, we were further east in Missouri seeing some family for Christmas. And I'm standing there in front of the mirror at this little uh, cabin we rented for Christmas. And I'm looking at myself. I'm like, okay, all right, I got I to gotta, I gotta do something a little bit different. I cut out. So, so what I really cut back was the chips, the bread, beer, and uh, bad coffee creamer. Uh, just those those simple things right not a long list just try to really cut back yeah. on bread beer chips and coffee creamer man just just cutting those out was, i mean was amazing <laughs> you know uh and uh so it doesn't take a lot just you got to be conscious right you got to be a little bit careful and uh and you can do it you know for any of the listeners out there you don't have to be on no super strict diet just be careful do a little exercise right yeah, no, I, look, I totally agree with you and well done on that. Now, they're also the most tempting things that we all love to have. So they're they're the hard ones to eliminate. But um, I, I think you're right. And they're definitely the ones that um, I have to avoid myself as well. As much as I love all of those, um, I have to um, I have to put them on the back burner and and try to prioritize eating a little bit cleaner than that. But um, yeah, it's, it's a look, I just try to not do any crazy, you know, diets, just eat reasonably sensibly, um, yeah. still enjoy some sweets and cakes and whatnot when I, when I want. And then, um, yeah, try to, I really, the fitness part is the big part. I really try to keep that up um, most days. And, you know, I think I do the fitness part uh, more for the uh, psychological effect than anything, quite honestly, because I just feel better. If I'll just get up in the morning and just do a little extra, you know, 30, 45 minutes of some stuff, you know, it didn't have to be anything super major, right? I'm not like trying to be a bodybuilder or something, but uh, man, if I will just do that, then I just, my mind is fresher. Plus I'm usually kind of meditating a little bit, right? Like if I'm on the treadmill or whatever, I'm thinking about things, I'll come up with ideas, uh, so I just feel better. Uh, and, and for any aspiring CEO out there or entrepreneurial founder working 80 hours a week and not taking time for your family and not taking time for your, your body is a bad idea. It will eventually catch up with you. <laughs> yeah. And, and not only that, I do think, um, you limit your problem solving ability. I, I, I seriously think to your point, um, you know, some of the, the best ways we've, you know, I've come up with an idea or a way to solve something or a way to tackle something differently is because I went out for a run and, you know, I, I had a change of environment or I was at my kid's basketball game and, you know, finally it hits you, you know, maybe you can try something different. And I think if you just, you know, stay on the laptop and stay on Zoom all day, um, you know, you're you're kind of on that zoom treadmill and it's very hard sometimes to think things through differently so i do think that there's um yeah that the balance actually makes you more efficient and more effective no doubt my team actually probably hates it when i go to the mountains uh, camping for the weekend because i always come back uh that monday with like five new ideas because <laughs> exactly. my brain has a chance to get creative Oh, uh, 
Well, give us the star res update a little bit. And uh, as a matter of fact, you might want to just give the listeners, uh, a, first of all, I might want to give the listeners kind of a, an overview on star res one more time and yeah. then, then kind of a, uh, kind of an update uh, you know, from, from the last time we were on. It is star res, R-E-Z, star res.com. Tell us about star res and then give us an update, uh, Travis, if you don't mind. Yeah, thanks, Steve. So if you wind back the clock to 2021, uh, we're still a private family business. We're around 30 years in business at that time. Um, we had never taken outside investment or funding or debt or the like. Um, so we built the business organically over a long period of time. Um, and, uh, you know, we were having great experience. You know, we we're still the market leader. We've grown into, you know, around 20 countries. We're sitting at about 2 million beds. And, uh, you know, as a reminder, Starez is, you know, think of it as a prop tech booking platform that specializes primarily in student accommodation, student housing. So a lot of our customers are universities and colleges all around the world um, that manage that, you know, on-campus residential experience. But it's also a solution that's used outside of that setting. So we have things like staff housing where we look after um you know, the staff that live at ski resorts and theme parks. Mm. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a property tech solution that that fits into, you know, a number of different um, sort of markets. Mm. Now, we had been, you know, just growing organically and built the team up. So at that time, we're around, you know, 170 people. Okay. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of reached a point where, um, you know, we, we felt like it was time to make a change. And I think one of the funny things we spoke about was my... Um, you know, my thoughts around not raising capital too early or spending too much time on it. Um, now I've seen the other side of it, how, you know, capital can help accelerate things. But I, look, I still think my philosophy around that remains true in the sense that, you know, I still see it today where, you know, if you do raise some capital to get things going, you really want to quickly focus on product market fit, happy customers, retention of those customers, and getting a profitable business. Um, so that you can really stand on your own two feet and continue to invest in the product instead of, you know, investing your time having to do the next, you know, round of fundraising, the next round of fundraising. So I still see this pattern um, where not enough time and focus is on product and customers yeah. and too much time is focused on the capital raising piece because it's so easy to burn money um, and, you know, I think it, they just get into a cycle where they that's what they feel like is the right thing to do. Now, yeah. along the way, you're diluting yourself. Um, as I said, you're not focused on the product. So now on the flip side, I think definitely capital, you know, with the right partner um, can accelerate things. And that's that's certainly what I've experienced now over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. So we, we ran a, a process and, um, you know, I learned a lot about a, how to run a process um, what what kind of you know things we were prepared for as a company and things that we were you know lacking as a business, um, and then you know being able to bring on a really sophisticated you know world class investor like Vista Equity Partners, which is you know just a fantastic outcome for us. Um, you know I, I've really seen how it is to work with a great partner like that. So it's been a great experience for us. I know everyone. Um, you know, was a little scared when we when we announced that investment from Vista because people yeah. were worried about what would change. Uh, but honestly, it's it's exceeded our expectations in every capacity. It's Vista Equity Partners, is that correct? Yes. 
Okay. Can you share how much uh, you raised with them or is that private or did you make an announcement about it? Um, we it's private in terms of the numbers, uh, but you know we we have them on as a significant um, equity holder of the business. I remain a substantial equity holder of the business as well, um, and I'm the you know in seat operating CEO. So it's still very much a partnership. We've got you know Vista has a number of board seats. Um, so together we form the board of directors. We have some great external directors, uh, board members, sorry, that we've just brought on uh, that we'll be announcing publicly soon. Okay. Um, so we really, you know, operate the business kind of together as a board. Um, you know, they kind of help work with me on, you know, resources, strategy, uh, you know, that, that sort of thing. And then I'm, in, you know, in the business with the leadership team executing on that. Can I ask this? I don't know if you can share this or not. This is a pretty direct question. Uh, does the family still have voting control or did the P does, can the PE firm outvote you if the shit ever hit the fan? That's what I'm curious about. Uh, so yeah, no, we do not have majority investment in the business anymore. Okay. Um, and I'm the only remaining family member that has equity in the company. So um, okay. that is definitely a change. But as I said, I think, um, you know, which worried me, you know, in terms of, Oh yeah. Well, we would, would we still have autonomy and would we still be able to, you know, have good input about product direction, things like that? Uh, now, I think it might be different depending on the, the the firm that you have behind you and the partnership that you have. Our experience has been fantastic. So, you know, I still, you know, feel very empowered to lead the company, to lead the product vision. Um, what, what I like right now is I've just got a lot more smart, capable people in my corner that are helping me think it through and helping support us every step of the way. You know, this is such an interesting topic. We could probably talk for four hours on it. Uh, it, it can be hard for a long-term family business, especially somebody in your shoes, second generation, kind of really a little bit, right. Um, to one day wake up and go, I'm still a CEO, but really, I'm not in complete control anymore. Like right now I got an answer to a board and I got people asking me, why'd you spend money on this? Why'd you spend money on that? I mean, that is a scary thought for a lot of people that have started a company. Um, I'm sure that you and your, your family and your wife, there must have, I mean, you must have had many, many, many countless nights going, man, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to do this? <laughs> did you, did you try to cut a deal at first not to lose control? You probably did knowing, I mean, I would have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, look, to be honest with you, I think um, we were really comfortable with the commercial side of it. And I okay. think as a, as a family as well, you know, part of it is, you know, being able to take some of that, you know, we, we had everything tied up in the business. And so being able to take some of that off the table now, yeah. um, which allows us to be able to do some investments outside of Star Res, yeah. um, you know, being able to follow some of our passions, um, you know, around property investment, which we love and we wanted to be able to do more with, being able to be uh, more charitable. So we've been able to set up a, a family foundation fund Good. where we've been able to, you know, get involved and support some uh, some charities and some causes that we're really passionate about. Um, but meanwhile, still having significant, you know, stake in Star Res and, and you know, and obviously being passionate to, to own and run it. Um, I, I think back to your point, um, yes, it's agonizing to think about um, whether you should make these decisions and what does this mean long term? And, you know, obviously there's family legacy, um, you know, that you think about. I think the way I came to terms with it is I felt like 
not doing it was probably more of a risk and more of a compromise than doing it. Okay. Uh, because I just think the amount of investment you need to have in technology companies, mm. we just could not keep pace with as a private business. I see. Um, and I think the expertise that we needed to bring on board to help us, we could never have gathered that expertise on our own. And so the way I thought of it is this is actually one of the ways we can cement Starres um, as a great long-term you know, platform company versus, you know, it compromising what we can do with Starres. So I, I really kind of thought about it from every different angle and, and you know, you scrutinize and agonize over it. Um, you don't know exactly when you run this process what the outcome is going to be. I, I care a lot about the team that I've that I've got and a lot of my team being with me for a long time, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Yes. Some some excess of 20 years. So I really wanted to make sure that, you know, their careers and livelihoods were going to be, you know, considered. Now, the good news is, um, you know, that that process enabled us to actually be able to share some of the success, you know, um, around with the team, be able to, good. Good. you know, and, and be able to create, you know, one of the great things when you've got um, this new structure is you've got things like uh, management equity pool and long-term incentive plans and, you know, different, um, you know, uh, instruments that I didn't have available to me as a, as a private business or I was structured previously. Mm. Um, so it's ended up being a great outcome for, you know, uh, a lot of the leadership team. And, you know, so it's, I feel like, um, you know, Steve, one of the things I try to look at is, uh, are there any losers from this or, or are they all winners? And the way I looked at it is, mm. well, you know, if, if we're getting the outcome that we're looking for as, as, a, as a family, if our customer is ultimately going to now have an even bigger investment in terms of product engineering, cybersecurity, compliance, mm -hmm. um, so they're going to end up with a better product and better service. If our team will end up with uh, more career opportunities, more professional development, you know, better compensation, which they have, mm -hmm. you know, essentially everyone's been able to win out of this and we've been able to, um, you know, bring it all together. So I don't feel like, and ultimately Vista as the investor, I think is is winning as well because they they found a great company that they're passionate about. Um, it, it meets their investment thesis, um, will of course help drive some great value creation for for their investors. So again, I think everyone is is coming out of this, you know, in a really good position. Now it's a PE firm, right? Not VC, right? I, th I think you right. said. Um, and most people listening to this show most people probably understand that PE firms generally, not all the time, invest in something like this for a, a three to five year run before they get their money back and, and flip it or sell it, uh, so to speak. Um, and I'm guessing people on your team probably understand that a little bit too. So it, are, does that make your team nervous? Are they like, okay, well, this is going to be a short run because as soon as uh, Vista can uh, flip this thing in four years, they're going to sell us again. Uh, has, was that a conversation? Have you people been nervous about that? Yeah, I think it's one of the biggest fears that everyone has. Firstly, they think a lot's going to change in year one. The main thing that changed for us was um, us, of course, learning uh, that the private equity firms have a different language that they speak. Um, and, you know, we, we were pretty naive to that. So, you know, there's a lot of acronyms and a lot of new, um, you know, sort of software and investment language that we had to ramp up on. And now that's become second nature at Starres. So there was that piece. Um, we have Vista. One of the things I love about them is they have a consulting practice that we engage on a regular basis to come and help 
Um, they've got best practices they've developed over 20 plus yep. years yep. they help yep. bring to the table. Um, but again, I think people worry about what is this like having some consultants come in and spend time with different parts of our business. Once they realize that those consultants are just really invested in our success and they are an extension of our team, I think people totally changed their, you know, their their guarded mindset and embraced it. Um, but I think, um, you know, for us, you know, once people have seen that um, also the investments we're making, Steve, are more long-term investments. So, you know, there's a lot of firms out there that definitely do financial engineering and they want to come in and they want to see where they can cut costs and reduce things. The reality is we've never invested more in our business than we have in the last 12 months. Um, and so when people see that, that we're making investments in things like, you know, upgrading our, you know, finance system and upgrading our, you know, all of our systems internally and upgrading um, our security compliance. So once people see those investments they and they realize that those things are really foundational things that will actually help Starries over a 10, 20 year time span, they're not just something that will help us for three years. I think people realize, you know what, they're actually here to build a better business. They're, they're here to build a better experience. And whether it's, you know, ultimately them that is invested long term or it's, you know, some other, you know, investor, I think they can see the trajectory of Starries is now is it's a better company with stronger foundations and more opportunity to scale and grow. So I think people have kind of changed their, if they had any concerns or reservations, I think that we've been able to address those pretty quickly. What about culture, Travis? Uh, you know, you guys and you personally and your company have done a really nice job of building a positive culture. Uh, at least that's what it looks like, you know, from from a distance, right? Social media. I mean, reviews and everything from Glassdoor to online presence to postings that you do. I mean, I just, I think company culture and and people enjoying working there and enjoying working with you is is a big deal. At least that's what it looks like uh, from a distance. I'm sure that uh, uh, made people a little bit nervous, like, oh, what about our culture? What about our atmosphere? Uh, you probably had to address that a little bit in some ways. Yeah, look, yeah, culture is absolutely, um, you know, one of our sort of key ingredients here at Star Is. Um, I think I've shared before that our culture is a little bit different than, again, early stage software companies where they often get in a room and they think about them, they write them down, and then they try and live them. You know, we lived out for a long time before we finally wrote them down and then realized, oh, this is this is actually our DNA. We just, we need to, you know, celebrate this and foster this. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I think is very important when you go through that process of finding investor is they have to believe in your culture. And I really love that the Vista board truly understands that we've got something special here about Star culture. It is a little bit different to, you know, corporate um, IT, you know, software companies. And they've been fully supportive about, you know, us continuing to make investments in the things that make our con culture strong and rich. So there's been no um, questioning about, you know, like for us, the holiday parties is an annual tradition. It's a must have for us, you know, and we want to bring everyone together. Um, and, you know, that's a big investment. But um, there's been no discussion about, should we cut back on that one? Because, you know, that, that would be a great cost saving. It's like, we understand that this is part of the formula Starries has for engaging their team and bringing them together. And, you know, it's it's not even a discussion point, which I love. So I think we've done a really good job of um, trying to preserve our culture. Now, I think the thing that is testing our culture more than 
uh, say, uh, a, a PE firm coming in has been a couple of things. One, the acceleration of our growth is faster than ever. So we've grown from, you know, about 170 people to almost 300 people in just over 12 months. Yeah, that's 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 an incredible amount of, you know, change and growth in terms of the team. Mm -hmm. And we've also done two acquisitions where we brought on, so as part of that, you know, circa 100-ish growth in people, uh, there was about 40 people that came through, you know, two acquisitions. Mm -hmm. And they had similar cultures, but different cultures. And, you know, again, they were used to working with smaller teams, not large teams. So I think a lot of our work on culture has been around trying to make sure uh, that we smooth out the bumps between those changes. So um, making sure that we we improve our onboarding experience because we can't, you know, when you're doing it at scale, you know, I, I've never seen this before in my life at Sarah's, but, you know, th there were weeks where we had 10 new, new people starting in one week. Um, you know, we just, we'd met, we never dealt with that before. We maybe had two or three starting a week um, right. at the maximum. So what you realize is you really got to work a lot harder in getting your onboarding experience built out, making sure that, you know, your culture is well documented. Um, you know, so th those things are really important to us. Um, with our um, new team members that came across from the acquisitions, we had to work really hard to make them feel like they're part of, you know, one larger family and 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 get rid of the kind of us and them, you know, yes. uh, mindset that, that kind of comes at the start. And we did some things like, you know, bring the teams together for meetings. And, you know, I flew out straight away to meet um, the teams when they when they joined. And so, you know, we tried to do things um, to help, you know, smooth that out and bring those cultures together. But um, look, I'm really happy to say that Staris culture remains intact. Um, and, you know, you have to fight for it. You really have to, to work hard to celebrate it and foster it and make sure that it doesn't get away from you as you grow. Well, you did. So the acquisitions, did those come after you raised the cash and then you had the cash to, to, to do those or, or were they at the same time? What, what was the timeline for that? They were very fast. So we, we, we moved pretty quickly. So right after we closed our investment, uh, we had the first acquisition basically uh, completed within a couple of weeks. Wow. Um, so that one was really fast um, and was just a great, great fit for us. Um, and a great outcome for everyone. And within uh, it was within the about the first six months, we completed the second one. So it was pretty early on. So we were going through a lot of change ourselves, um, and then we were also helping, um, you know, bring two two kind of new families together into one. That is a lot to manage. You got a brand new board to manage, brand new PE firm. You and you have organic growth uh, along with that plus acquisitions. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot, my friend. <laughs> it was a lot too. We were also hiring uh, a number of our leadership team at the time too and onboarding those. Um, so we had a lot of change um, in the leadership team. Um, we had, you know, the great thing that came through that period though was um, a lot of career growth for a lot of our team, Steve. So, right. you know, right. one of the best things about being able to grow the organization is you create extra, you know, layers, you know, in terms of opportunities. So we had, uh, I don't have the exact stat I should, but I would, I would guess that, you know, it was between 30 to 50 promotions last year, just upwards in terms of, you know, moving to a team lead or moving to a vice president or, you know, anywhere in between. So we had quite a bit of career growth that the team were excited about. Yeah, that's always awesome to be able to have people that have been with you for years 
continue to grow in their responsibility. You know, it's a wonderful thing, right. To have somebody 12 years ago, they started with you and they were a junior level person and now they're a VP or whatever that, that is a very special moment for entrepreneurs and CEOs for anybody listening out there. When you develop somebody's career and you see them grow and you know, they have supported their families or they put kids through school or they bought a new home or whatever, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, it has been for me. Uh, it means sometimes that means more to me than anything. We just had a uh, our annual leadership team meeting for Riderflex in Denver, and we're down there. And yeah, a couple of people in the room that I'm sitting there, I'm looking at them. I'm like, man, seven years ago, this person was like, you know, doing social media posts, and now they're like running full blown operations. You know, as like a VP, and I'm like, wow, this is so good, so great. I, I enjoy that. It's very emotional for me, and it's very rewarding. I think uh, more than the money. Uh, I think for for a lot of us. Oh, you, look, I totally agree. There's, there's, there's nothing more fulfilling than seeing your team, you know, continue to grow and prosper. And again, I, I look at that prosperity in terms of, yeah, them being able to pursue their personal hobbies, uh, their family life, travel, whatever, whatever it might mean to different individuals. Um, you know, I, I absolutely love that. And, you know, we've, we've got so many success stories with people that we've hired, you know, essentially right out of college that have stayed on this great journey with us. And again, I feel like had we not been able to go through that investment and uh, accelerate growth, I think there was definitely a risk we would have lost some of those last year because it was just so much opportunity for people in the tech space. And, you know, I think it was just, you know, good timing for us that we could offer, you know, a lot of the team, you know, new uh, opportunities here at Star is. What do you think the opportunities are for continued growth? Are you looking at more acquisitions or are you looking to uh, push your technology into other revenue streams or both? What What are you looking at for the future? All of the above. You know, Steve, um, I'm always told I need to get better at ruthless prioritization. Um, but, um, and I, I love the concept of it, but I also love, uh, trying to do what's impossible and, and push, the, push the limits. So, look, I think the great thing with Star is we've got really strong organic growth ahead of us um, that we're focused on. Um, we're really focused on supporting the, uh, you know, the communities that we we acquired um, last year as well. So, you know, we we took the Staris family from 2 million beds to over 3 million beds in a 12-month period. So, yeah. Um, you know, it gives us what's great about that is it gives us a lot of scale and a lot of conviction to make big investments in cybersecurity, product innovation. So there's a lot more coming through the product roadmap and coming out to our you know community through the uh, through the product investments. Um, but on the other hand, we still feel really excited about um, growing through acquisitions. Um, we're really thinking through what that means for Star is. You know, you, you can end up, I think. Uh, getting too excited and chasing down the wrong opportunities. And we, we because we are a platform company that has incredible global scale, um, you know, we get a lot of interesting activity coming to us. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we're trying to be really thoughtful about what is truly the acquisitions that is going to add value for our customers or add value for our you know, company and team. So I think we're spending some, some pretty serious time right now thinking that through. So we're not... Um, 
We're not active right at this moment, you know, looking at uh, our next acquisition. We want to make sure the foundations of Starres are stronger. So we're implementing, you know, some systems upgrades, some, you know, some new leadership team we're onboarding. Um, once we get out the other side of that, which won't take too long, we're already, you know, midstream with a lot of that work. Um, I think we'll be active again and starting to really think through what what will make the most sense to to add. I personally would love to see some great new uh, technology that we might want to bring into Starres um, that we can kind of bolt onto what we're doing and expand it out to all of our customers. You know, I'd, I'd love to see that we can do something like that. Are you doing anything with? Uh, I know you're doing some resort stuff. Are you doing anything with major hotel chains? Are you doing anything with? cruise lines are you doing anything with vrbo or any of that stuff or have you ever looked at any of those uh, a little bit yeah look the hotel space is very specialized and has a lot of you know um incumbent sort of players in that space so we don't feel like that's necessarily a great fit for us okay. where we feel like there's there's really great adjacencies for us is um, you know, we're doing more and more with the purpose-built student accommodation, the property managers that look after the, the on-campus, off-campus experience. Um, we're continuing to grow with that staff housing piece that we mentioned before. So, you know, the Vale Ski Resorts type operations. We're also doing more with built to rent, which is an interesting intersection huh? of, you know, kind of multifamily meets uh, purpose-built student accommodation. So built to rent is... You know, especially a big emerging market in um, in places like EMEA and APAC, um, and there's a flavor flavor of it in in the Americas as well. So we're doing more and more um, supporting that because fundamentally, you know, the the way so the way we look at it is if there are property managers, property developers that look at their community as more than just we need to sign people up to a lease and move them in and move them out. If they actually want to think about the resident experience resident wellness, resident mental health, the engagement of those and all the services and amenities that wrap around that, mm -hmm. we're a great fit for that. You know, you know, we love to talk about thriving residential communities because we uh, span all those different pieces. What we find is the property managers that really want to offer that true resident experience and make sure that they can do all the engagement and offer, you know, activities and events that they can attend. That's a really great fit for Star Res. And so there's a lot of possibilities for us um, you know, in the long term as to, you know, what other markets we might want to take stars to. Have you ever looked at commercial at all, like property managers for commercial space? I mean, I know that goes kind of against your whole thing, right? Because you're residential. I'm just curious. Uh, again, we feel like that's probably specialized space that isn't necessarily our, our okay. fit. Um, okay. Yeah. So, no, we feel like we've got, you know, a lot of opportunities ahead of us, Um you know, in terms of what we're doing, you know, with the residential sort of communities, we feel like we've got a special offering in that space and we want to continue to, you know, specialise in that. We don't, you know, we want to be kind of disciplined about not getting too far outside of what we do really, really well and where we're making our investments. Okay. I'm just curious about this. This is kind of a, a smaller, more granular question, but when a college, when you're pitching a university, when they say no, uh, what is the most common reason? Is it is it now nah, we we do it internally and we do just fine, or is it ah we're already using another software? Just curious. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I think um, you know I think one of the things that we try to help people understand with Star is is we have so much more than an administrative system. 
And I think when you're talking to um, a university and you're helping them understand that, do you need a solution, a platform that offers something that supports recruitment, um, engagement of, of people, um, retention, referrals, mm. long-term mm. alumni? Mm. What we offer is is so much more than an administrative system, you know, because by helping them pick their room and pick their roommates and have a great experience online, that really drives the recruitment piece. Once they're on campus and, and they're actually living there, so much of their experience is wrapped around that residential piece. And so if they're doing well in their residential experience, they've got great roommates, they've got great friendships, um, they've, uh, you know, they're uh, attending their classes, they're doing well academically, they're likely to stay, you know, at the university, they're likely to get better academic results, they're likely to refer their friends, you know, so it really drives that retention piece and that engagement and wellness piece. Um, so I think for us, Steve, once people understand that the ROI is, is incredibly strong around that, um, then Star is makes a lot of sense. I think sometimes, you know, we get caught like like everyone, you know, is is the right value there? You know, what is what are we providing? So certainly there are some alternative solutions out there. Uh, many of them are kind of cheaper alternatives that don't necessarily go to the same level of, you know, functionality that we offer. Um, innovation that we offer, security and compliance that we offer. So we, we're, we're offering, we think, something very different. Um, and, of course, there's still some that are doing homegrown solutions, but, of course, that doesn't scale over time. There's always, you know, um, it's impossible to keep a homegrown sort of solution on pace. There's still some uh, manual work being done out there or Excel and things like that. But I think people are really, you know, understanding now this is just such a critical piece of, you know, a platform that they need to invest in um, to automate their business. Uh, I'd say the other trend, Steve, that we've um, we've seen lately is, you know, a lot of these residential operations uh, do not have the resourcing and staffing capacity they had a couple of years ago. So they've either experienced the great resignation as well, or people that want more flexible work or people that are looking for different compensation. So they've had a harder time retaining team members, recruiting and hiring. So you need to rely on a solution that you can automate more of that work through. And then your hiring focus can be more around the high touch, you know, personal work that you need around a residential community. You don't want to be doing, you know, stuff that can be well automated by a good system. For Travis, uh, longer term here. Are you? Did you sign up for a two-year ride-along or a three-year? How they? How they? How they write, Did they lock you in for some sort of earn-out period? Uh, how long is Travis going to stick around for this deal? Look, that's a good question, Steve. I'm glad you hit me with a hard one. Um, but uh, look, I don't. Ha I have no fixed timeline on on what I'm doing. And I, look, I never, I never have. So as long okay. as I'm enjoying it. Um, I feel like I'm, you know, in an environment where I can have a really positive impact on the team and on the community. Um, then, then I'm, you know, committed to what I'm doing, and I'm 110% in. Um, you know, when when we signed up to this, uh, I don't have any particular, you know, necessarily tie-ins. Um, you know, there's there's some basic things in place, but it's really, you know, it's really more about just making sure I'm super committed that I'm driving great results and outcomes for obviously our investors, for our team and for our customers. Um, and so because you never know what the future holds, I like to just keep it open-minded about what it looks like, you know, over the next, you know, whatever it is, five to 10 years. And, um, and as long as I can balance out still being a great dad, 
fitting in my my own hobbies and my own fitness and things, which I've been able to kind of juggle, um, then I'm then I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'm I'm committed and I'm all in. What's one of the biggest things you've learned? on taking you know taking this cash on what any, anything in particular you want to share looking back and you go yes that was a learning piece for me i might i probably could have done that better or this better anything in particular you want to share yeah look i, I think the thing i'll share is now that i see what kind of help and resources you can get from a especially from you know vista is just such a top-notch firm that's got you know really great people in it that just know software businesses so well it feels like it's it's not a very fair fight um, when you're battling a private company because look, we always felt like we were you know pretty well resourced and pretty knowledgeable, and I had you know good network of IPOers and everything around me. But I can now see that when you bring this level of you know experience and resource to the table, and um, you know to your point earlier, even just their ability to be able to spot acquisition opportunities for us to help us execute on that, it's it it puts you in a very different place in terms of competing as a private business against a, a PE backed business. Yeah. Um, so look, I feel fortunate that we're able to have, I think the successful run we did as a private family business for 30 years. I, I think, um, I think what I've seen is that you can accelerate things pretty dramatically with the right, you know, partner behind you. So um, I think it's all about just thinking about what is the timing. So, you know, if I if I could wind back the clock a little bit, maybe we would look at doing this a few years earlier. Um, you know, that's that's maybe one thought I have is, okay. um, you know, did did we did we stick it out too long as a private business, or should we have actually um, been uh, investing a little heavier on our own, maybe? previously um mm-hmm. maybe we should have already done an acquisition maybe we shouldn't have waited for this time because i think we we've learned that um it, it's been a, a great experience for us so i think it's more just about the the timing and sequencing and things that i've i've learned a lot about okay. um in terms of personal learning steve i found this incredibly stimulating and i think for me in a way to your point about my, my own timeline i found this so reinvigorating because you know, we've been operating Starres, you know, in a very similar fashion for the last kind of decade. Um, now we're operating at, at this accelerated pace and I'm learning a lot about acquisitions and integrating businesses and mm-hmm. how to think through uh, managing debt and how to make the right investments. So I personally found it really stimulating for my own development. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Lots of learning pieces for yourself as a CEO throughout this whole process. Uh, one thing you mentioned earlier for the listeners I want to highlight, which I agree with, if you've had a family business for a while or if you've been an entrepreneur and you've uh, had a lot of blood, sweat, and tears for five, six, seven, ten years, if you are going to take on cash, that means you're going to lose uh, control of the cap table, so to speak. If you're going to do that, I advise paying your family a, a little bit of, you know, one, one time payout. Here you go. Congratulations. Thank you. Now I wouldn't put all the money towards sales marketing and, and technology. I would, I would reward the family. I know my wife in particular has said that many times. She's like, if we ever take on cash for Rider Flex and we lose control, we're going to get a one-time payday of some kind. Cause I've sacrificed my ass off for these six, seven years you know, and so I think that's important. I think if you're going to give up control, reward your family a little bit and then put the rest of the money towards, you know, all the right places where it's supposed to go. And I'm glad you did that for your family. Um, we're almost out of time. I want to ask you 
two kind of uh, uh, outside the lines questions uh, real quick, if you don't mind it, if that's okay, I want to hit you with a couple. Um, lately in the news, all this uh, chatter about some companies making people return back, return to the office again. And this, you know, employees are pushing back on the whole, I don't want to return to the office. So this, this remote battle continues, remote working continues. W what are your thoughts around that, Travis? And what, what uh, philosophy are you guys uh, following? Yeah, look, it's, it's obviously uh, still a hot topic at the moment. Look, we feel like, um, hybrid and flexibility is absolutely the way to go forward. So we've maintained our headquarters in Melbourne, our headquarters in Denver. And in fact, we now have another office in Raleigh through one of our acquisitions. And since we have a hub of people there, we want to keep that office in place. Now, um, I'd like to think of them as probably collaboration hubs more than anything else. So um, we love the local teams that um, if someone wants to work out of their full time, they're more than welcome to do that. Uh, what we find with the local teams is that we encourage them to get together in those offices two to three days a week and or to come together for some, you know, celebrations and team events or customer events or whatever it might, might make sense, you know, around those areas. The other thing that we're really trying to do, Steve, is we've got hubs of people in different cities. So we've got, in fact, I was recently in uh, Arizona and I got together, we've got a team of about six people based in Phoenix. So uh, we've got a little group together in Toronto. We've got another group in uh, Chicago. So we've got these um, regional kind of hubs of people and we're encouraging those groups to come together every month or every quarter, whatever it might be practical, so that they've got some local connectivity with those um, teams. We are hiring pretty much anywhere now. So, um, you know, we, we love if we can find people in Melbourne and Denver and those places, but we're, we're definitely hiring outside of that. Um, so, we, you know, we want to find the best people and bring the best team together um, versus just being fixed on the office. So we're definitely not pushing that you must be back in the office, you know, X number of days a week or anything like that. My personal experience is highly productive people, um, can be highly productive from anywhere. And if you find people that maybe are not highly productive, I think they can they can be that way in an office or from home. So I think for us, we're about building a high-performing team, make sure we've got really good instrumentation across the business so people understand what we're trying to achieve, what our progress is. And then we really try to empower our leadership team to make sure that they've got their team, you know, that's performing and being held accountable. Collaboration hubs or collaboration centers. I like that. I'm going to steal that. I like that. That's good. That's that's a great way to look at it because that's really what it is, right? You come together, collaborate on some things, do some meetings. Yeah, but if if you're going to have you know ten people with their heads down all day long for eight hours pounding on their laptops, they can do that from home. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. Okay, last last question. I'm curious on this uh, topic. So because you're so heavily involved with universities, I'm wondering what you think about this new AI, the rapid advancement of chat GPT and now other things like it that are, uh, you know, blasting uh, the marketplace. Cause I thought a lot about that. I thought about, you know, students in college and I'm like, Oh, Holy shit. Nobody is anybody going to write their own papers anymore. Cause I, you know, I've experienced it, you know, chat GPT myself and, and I'm kind of wondering, what's that going to do uh, to all of us, uh, to students? Uh, how do professors keep students from writing all their papers using this stuff? I, I don't know. <laughs> well, what are your thoughts? 
Look, um, I think um, it's interesting, Steve, because you're in the you know the, the recruitment and people space. Um, we think that we had a candidate um, that the team was interviewing that was even using it um, this week to help them with an answer to one of our questions. So probably it's a challenge. You know, it's a challenge when you think about that. Um, I, look, I think it's too early for us to all know exactly the real world impact. It's clearly um, one of the more significant accelerators of change that we're going to see impact society and education and business more than ever. Yeah. I do think the good news is that the human element is still a very important aspect, uh, you know, in terms of what we do. And I think a lot of um, what we what we need to do as humans is think through problem solving in so many different contextual settings that I think AI, you know, will struggle to, you know, be totally proficient in. So the way I think of it is, like, if you think of it in this context of, say, engineering, I think it can probably help generate a good portion of code, but you'll still need humans that know how to take that and then make it purpose fit and make it actually, you know, deliver and solve the problem and make sure that, you know, it's it's thoughtfully integrated in the tech stack. And then you've got, you know, the delivery piece of how people do it. Um, you know, as humans, we we love experiences and, you know, these AI tools don't give us experiences. So, um, you know, I think, I think the world would just continue to shift around experience-based learning, experience-based you know, lifestyles and, and things that we want to enjoy. And yes, we can automate some things with these tools. Um, but I think, you know, it, there's always the asterisks on how accurate it'll be and, and how far we can go in applying it. So still early days. I think the next five years is going to be very fascinating to see this unfold. It is, right? It's kind of an interesting time to be alive because you're right. The next four or five years is is going to be fascinating uh, to watch it. My analogy so far on it is uh, kind of like you said, let's imagine you build homes for a living. And all of a sudden there was a tool created to put the foundation down for you right away. The concrete and everything is automatically laid. Well, you still got to pick out the right curtains. You still got to pick out the paint. You still got to get creative. You still got to finish off the rest of it. Right. It's just nice that now you have a tool that lays the foundation right away. And I think if for anybody listening right now, I think ChatGPT can be used for that, right? If you want to use it to base out an email or to get some sort of like, oh, I need a, I need a blog. Can you give me a structure to work from? And then I'll tweak it and play with it and get more creative with it. You know, I think that that's fine if you use it in the right ways. Um, but I don't think robots are going to replace us all anytime soon, at least not as long as me and you are alive. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. No, look, um, you know, we've had a lot of evolution and innovation in the last, you know, 30 years. Um, and I think this is another another big milestone marker. But I think the other thing, Steve, that we haven't seen yet is it seems free at the moment. Um, right. I don't think it's going to remain free. So no, you, no, it won't. you may get to a, a point where it's like, well, you can use uh, this AI um, or it might be cheaper to hire someone to, to do it, you know, which is how... A lot of technology gets to right. There's a huge, you know, cost associated with um, a lot of these. So we haven't seen the other side of this. This is just not going to be a free tool. The whole world can enjoy forever. Um, so, so you know, you're, you're so right. There, I think there was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie or something, or some sort of movie way back, where like you would go up to this machine and you could ask it anything you wanted to ask it, and it would give you the right answer. But you had to have you had to have a token. You had to have you had to pay it, right? You had to feed it. If you didn't have any, then you weren't going. It wasn't going to help you. <laughs> so there you go. And, and I think that's where we'll see the other side of that. The commercial side of it will come out in the next, you know, twelve months pretty quickly. 
no doubt. Travis, congratulations, man. I mean, uh, not only are you second generation family, 30 plus years in business, and you've survived uh, taking on cash as well. Um, congrats. And, and super, or super huge growth acquisitions. Congrats, my friend. Really, really congratulations. Dean, thanks so much. I love the work you do. I love the, you helping us uh, share our stories. And um, yeah, it, it, it was a thrill to be able to give you a, an update on, on our journey. Thank you.